Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And Dr. James Polo and I have been having incredible conversations about not just the economic worth of caregiving in America, but the psychological toll on the people who are caregivers. And so today we're going to be talking not only about what caregiving is, some of the ways that it actually impacts us when we take this role. And Dr. Polo, I will tell you, I have such firsthand knowledge because I was not only a parent to a daughter and two stepdaughters, but when my daughter got sick with cancer, it was so psychologically and physically exhausting to me it put me in a whole new category of awareness for people who carry this burden of caregiving for uh, people with disabilities where they never recover, they are their full-time caregiver, for people who have mental illnesses that require full-time care, and for also parents of small children who are also caring for elderly people who are either in stages of dementia or Alzheimer's. So I have tons of empathy around this particular topic, and I'm so glad to see you today to walk us through it. Well, thank you for having me. And, and yeah. I just want to tell you up front, your example of caring for a daughter with cancer is really very typical. And it's yeah. amazing how many families are impacted by the need to care for somebody. You know, one of the things that I first just want to talk about is, and I'm sure people thread this needle all the time, when you're also the source of economic stability for your family, and then you have to be a caregiver, how do most people handle this? Are they taking time off from work? Are they quitting their jobs? What kind of impact do we see when people say, I have to become a full-time caregiver for at least this period? Well, the question is a very good one. And what I would say upfront is that it's a little bit all over the board. There are some people that have to give up their jobs to become a caregiver. There are some individuals that care for adults where that is their job. And then there are some folks that actually will take on both responsibilities. They work at the same time that they're providing care for somebody that needs it. And so it's kind of important to understand the maybe the demographics of, of how much this is really impacting our society today. So, you know, statistics from 2022, 17% of the population, that's 42 million people, are providing care to some other individual. Wow. And this isn't and, just parents providing care for children. We're talking about people taking care of people who are sick or or with disabilities or mental illnesses, right? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. This is an individual essentially caring for another individual that needs care. Now keep in mind, 89% of the time caregiving is provided usually by somebody that's related to the individual, but not always. Sometimes mm -hmm. the caregiver is a neighbor a friend, an acquaintance that that somehow got involved through some kind of volunteer work. But the bottom line is we have a lot of people that are providing caregiving in our country. And here's another statistic that's kind of interesting. On average, the number of hours provided per week, 23 hours, that's a half-time job. Wow. So if you're working a 40-hour-a-week job and then you're also taking care of somebody, you're essentially spending 60 hours a week focused on kind of working. So you're also in the healthcare realm where policy is created. Is there any discussion about actually reimbursing people for this care since it is taking up such a huge economic load? 
once again, 2022 statistics basically say that through the amount of caregiving that is being provided, because it's necessary support, it's $470 billion. Billion. Such a big, a it's B. such a big number. I, I, I keep getting it wrong. It's $470 yeah. billion, dollars, essentially wow. of free labor. Wow. Now, now, keep in mind, there are some people that are, are professional caregivers and they're hired and they work eight hours a day providing care for somebody that can actually afford to pay for it. But the grand majority of, of people in our country actually can't afford that kind of care. And yeah. so it has to be taken on by somebody that's willing to essentially do it. So I want to just talk about the categories we're going to cover today. We're talking about people who are caring for people who are either ill, who are caring for someone with a disability, someone with a mental illness. I guess the last category would be caring for aging and dying parents. Those are clearly the big bucket areas. But what I would what I would highlight is, first of all, sometimes caregiving occurs for an acute situation. Your example was a perfect one. You, you had a, a, an adult child that was going through a period of cancer. So they yeah. needed support through that period. Now, one of the right. reasons why cancer is one that becomes quite significant is because typically the individual that is going through cancer treatment does so for several months, yeah. sometimes up to a year. Recovery from surgery can also be a period of time where somebody might need a caregiver. But in general, the other areas that you highlighted, cognitive disability, which we've talked about before, yeah, mental health challenges, folks that have a physical disability. Yeah. And then general aging creates a couple of categories. Folks, for example, that have mobility problems where, yeah. where they really can't get around and do things for themselves. Individuals that just become frail where they're at risk for harming themselves. So there's a whole variety of different reasons. And consequently, it really cuts across all ages. I think one of the hardest things, especially, and I encountered this, was the cost of professional caregiving is so high. It's like $75 an hour. It's, I don't know anybody that can pay that eight hours a day. And so you end up giving as much of your time as you can and trying to have friends come in for an hour while you have to run and do something. But there isn't a an agency that you can go to when you're a person who needs caregiving or a government backup for you to be able to hire trustable, knowledgeable, skilled caregivers. Am I just not aware of a system that is in place? You're pretty accurate. And, you know, if you think about it, a lot of us don't even think about it ourselves when we're in that situation. You know, yeah. uh, our parent becomes ill, our child becomes ill. We want to jump in and care for them because we love them. They're yeah. part of our family. It takes its toll on us. And we may not even jump to the conclusion that we're actually doing hard work, that yeah. theoretically you could need a professional to help you with. And that and that's part of the challenge is that sometimes the individuals that are doing the caregiving don't have all the right tools and skills to be able to provide the right care in the first place. Right. I did talk with several care connection places, but I was astounded by, and I'm a working professional, I make a fairly good salary, but I was like, how are lower income people managing the cost of professional caregiving? I was blown away by how expensive it was. Here's the other thing to keep in mind. 
remember that we have a lot of facilities for, for the older population that's having cognitive challenges. We don't really have facilities for younger people that have right. other reasons that don't relate to being cognitively challenged. Now, if, if you have an individual that has a medical condition for which they need some kind of skilled nursing services, then those obviously can be provided through an insurance um, approach. Yeah. But there are many individuals that don't meet the criteria for a skilled nursing facility or a long-term treatment facility that still need significant assistance in, in terms of getting care. So I want to just um, pivot into the psychological impact, Dr. Polo, because I do know just the stress of the worry about your loved one combined with the emotional exhaustion can be really, really hard on caregivers. Oh, yes. I went through that period myself where I was just like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, you know, because first it was sleeping in the, on the hospital floor while she was going through the worst part of it. And then it was that seeing her so weak and so sick for so long was just really difficult. You know, it's interesting. You're touching on two stressors that are ever so slightly different. The psychological stress you know, being responsible for somebody, yeah, watching some things or being engaged in some health-related things that just aren't the usual things that we get exposed to, which cause psychological stress. And then there's the emotional component because of how close you might be to the individual. Mm -hmm. You know, the emotional component for caring for a loved one is going to be a little bit stronger than if you're caring for somebody that maybe is not in your family. It's not that you don't care. It's that yeah. you don't have as close a connection. So yeah, those are two right. very big components. They're not the only ones though. And so what kind of suggestions do you have for people who, first of all, you don't want to get run so ragged that you can't keep taking care of your loved one. And so what do you suggest for people? So you know what? I've got a lot of suggestions that I think are helpful, but it might be good to first think about, well, what are the kinds of things that you do? Because that helps think about what those suggestions sure. would be. Because some people yeah. say, well, caregiving is not a big deal. I just am giving them food or whatever. So examples of all the activities that end up being part of caregiving, we refer to something called ADLs, activities of daily living, of which the most common ones are hygiene in the morning mm -hmm. and getting dressed mm -hmm. toward the evening. It's getting undressed and perhaps bathing. Okay, so those alone are physical type activities you have to engage in that take yeah. time. It can be providing meals. It can be providing transportation, usually to medical type appointments. It can be doing shopping for grocery or other needs. And then there are household chores, yeah. cleaning, washing sheets and clothes. And then there are activities that are just considered a part of companionship. Mm -hmm. So when you really start thinking about all the different things, there's a physical component, there's an emotional component, but there's mm -hmm. clearly a time component depending on how disabled or how impacted an individual is that you're caring for. So when it comes to thinking about how do you take care of yourself, the first thing I would highlight is it's very important to, first of all, prioritize yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of somebody else. Yeah. And the reason why this is so important is I can't tell you how many times I've seen folks that have neglected their own health and well-being yeah. because they're trying to help somebody else's with their health. You see it so, all the time in older women who just get so frail and sick from caring for ailing husbands where oh, yes. they end up landing themselves in a nursing home too because they're not 
strong enough to be doing the physical part. They're not energetic enough to be doing all of the caregiving and the home cleaning and everything else you describe. And it really runs them ragged as well. So it's interesting. The grand majority of caregivers in the United States are actually women around the age of 50. Wow. And the reason why that's important is because that age category is when most people usually already have maybe one or two chronic conditions that have started diabetes, high cholesterol, hypertension. And it's amazing how many individuals will be neglecting their own checkups, mm -hmm. not doing a good job of taking their own medications because they're so focused on taking care of somebody else that they see as being more ill than they are. Yeah. And so they somehow think, well, I, I don't need to worry about me because this person needs something more than I need. <laughs> And unfortunately, that takes its toll, too. The thing that you highlighted, though, is that caregiving can be just a physically exhausting experience. Yeah. Okay. So now that we have we have the categories down, is there any of those categories that you can kind of let go a little? Does the house need to be spick and span? Do the all of the appointments need to be taken care of by you? Like, let's think flexibly about how people might free up more time for themselves so they can begin that self-care. First of all, you have to have some boundaries. You can't go into this as if there's no limit to what you can do because mm -hmm. there's always more that you can do. So one of the things that is most important is to get engaged early with the care team, the physicians, the providers that are taking care of the individual to get a sense of what it is that they're recommending that's most important. Sometimes there are situations where individuals can share the workload with other people, particularly if it's in a family. Sometimes it's important to let individuals do things for themselves as they mm -hmm. begin to recover. Yeah. And you're not going to really know where those boundaries are without kind of getting a recommendation from somebody that's already taking care of the individual. One of the things that uh, becomes so important is that you've got to be able to kind of make sure that there are a couple things that are in order because when you're in a caregiving situation, you don't know where things are going to go. Mm -hmm. So what I'm thinking about right now is making sure that you understand where the medical records are, what's in the records, what's important relative to know about so that you're not surprised by something. Yeah. So for example, I'll, I'll just use your, your case as an example. You were helping your daughter through cancer and she probably was taking some medications that had some yeah. significant side effects and you needed to know what they were so that if yeah. you saw them, you could be aware and do something. So getting engaged and understanding within your capability of what's going on is, is important. It's also important to get all kind of legal documents in order. Yeah, You know, making sure that you've executed the right powers attorney, if you need that, if you're living in the same home, there might be some other kinds of documentation that needs to be taken care of so that the nuisance part of that is taken care of. Now, mm -hmm. the other thing that becomes kind of important from just a keeping things in order is caregivers need to keep their own finances in order. And the reason why I say that is because caregiving is not free. The typical caregiver in the United States spends about $7,000 of their own money in the process of providing care. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. What the studies have demonstrated is, is sometimes people are struggling with stress that's related to their own economic challenges because they're caring for somebody else. They can't you know, maybe make their utility payments or they're yeah. short on, on buying food for themselves. Lots of things to consider in terms of how you go into approach creating those boundaries. What is it that I can do? What is it that I can't do? 
What do, what are the most important things to do and how do I balance that to keep myself healthy? And I I will share with you and I know you won't take this personally, but one of the biggest stresses is when you have to fight with the insurance company to get coverage for the things that are absolutely necessary for your loved one's care. Oh, those absolutely. ones are uh, I think absolutely. beyond me because it's the bureaucracy that feels so painful when you are dealing with something that's so life or death, you know? Oh, yes. And, and in fact, that's why it can be very important to be connected with the individual that you're caring for with their provider, because yes. there might be some services that really should be provided either by their insurance or a health plan yeah. or the healthcare system. And you don't want to take ownership for things that really somebody else is kind of on the hook to be able to provide. Right. So it's very important to, to make sure that you're accessing all the resources available of which insurance is one of those. Dr. Polo, I know that people are always encouraged to go talk to other groups and to a provider during that time, but I will tell you, I had zero time for that kind of assistance. Yeah. Like if I had a spare half hour, I was going to use it to try to walk the dogs and get a little fresh air. I, I know probably other caregivers have heard that suggestion before and thought, what? I, I There is no time in the day for that. Yes. So there are some basics. Okay. There are, there really are some basics as we always say in health, you know, to take care of yourself, eat well, yeah. sleep well, get exercise. But when you're caregiving, when you're providing intensive services for somebody else, that can feel like it's eating up all your time. Mm -hmm. You have to prioritize activities for yourself. You need to get out and about away from the person you're caring for. Yeah, You need to still do some activities that give you a sense of joy that you like to do. Mm -hmm. You want to be connected to other people beyond just the individual that you're caring for. Now, if you, if you need support, it actually can be quite effective to talk with other caregivers. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, you'll realize, hey, I'm not alone. There's yeah. a lot of people out there struggling with the same things. What I'm feeling is normal. And oh, by the way, you might learn some tips and tricks from them that, yeah. that they figured out that makes their life a little bit easier. I do want to bring this up around because I know that this was really common for me that my daughter, she didn't want to be sick. Of course, she's a young adult who wants to be independent on her own. She was really resistant to having to be back in my house because she was a young adult. She was not her best self a lot of the time. And I could not not take it personally. <laughs> and I talked to other women about this, like, how do you have the conversation with someone who is suffering and is in pain that they they still need to be kind to you? You know, yes. they still need to to have your best your best feelings. It was so, really, it's one of those very sensitive topics for people. So this is an important area because it's it's more common than you realize. There are individuals that don't want to be sick. They're frustrated by needing help and they mm -hmm. take it out on the people around them, of which one of them is the very individual that's trying to help them. them. That can be a problem. At the other extreme, there are individuals that sometimes feel like taking advantage of this individual. I have something mm -hmm. that now somebody is going to do everything for me and that can create some tension. There, I've even seen situations where the caregiver slowly over time develops almost anger at mm. the individual that they're caring for, but they can't not do it because obviously there's that emotional, yeah. you know, feeling of, yeah. well, I'm supposed to. 
this is my spouse or this is my daughter, this is my my brother or whatever. Yeah. And so there's a lot of emotional challenges that can be created in that relationship. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to be connected to other people, get some perspective, get yeah. some help. And for individuals that are really overwhelmed, I recommend that they actually take some time alone. They yeah. get away. Like probably if if you have everything pretty stabilized, it's not going to be the most disastrous thing for you to just take 15 minutes away from the whole drama, right? Correct. It's Correct. really, it's funny that you do get in that emergency um, panic mode and it feels impossible to get away from it. I, I remember feeling very guilty even just going for a walk. It was strange. Right. And because what you're highlighting is you feel guilty about taking care of yourself mm -hmm. because you feel like you have something you're supposed to be doing that somehow right. is more important. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Dr. Polo, um, we're already, I can't even believe it. We're already at time, but do you have any other suggestions, especially for people who are new to this role? Yeah. I, I think the most important thing, if you're new to this role is to, first of all, really prepare yourself for creating boundaries of just how much you can do. We, we all have limits to what we can do. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you a very simple example. Let, let, let's say that you're just not physically capable of bathing another individual. You can't lift them or, or you can't quite do that. You've just got to say, okay, that's not something I can do. Mm -hmm. I need a different plan for that. So creating right. boundaries. And I think the, the other thing that we've just touched on is you've got to still make sure that you prioritize and take care of yourself first. If you're caring for somebody else because you really love them, then you want to last. You're not mm -hmm. going to last if you don't take care of yourself. I'll also just add, Dr. Polo, that I think a lot of people take on too much of the responsibility because they feel as if that is their burden. When there are other people who would love to come help, there might be an uncle or a brother or someone who is like, it seems like they've got it handled over there, but they may be the person who would love to come in and offer some assistance. So you've got to stay open to those relationships. Absolutely. You're never in it alone. Yeah. Never alone. Thanks again, Dr. Polo. It's always so good to see you. Thank you. Bye.